welcome to Beer Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every episode, I will have a different guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Well, I'm very excited for this episode. We uh, welcome back to the show and Basara. She was the very first certified Cicerone, fetal Cicerone in New York City. And she has since done an amazing collection of things. She has been a beer and beverage director. She has been a consultant. She's a speaker. She has done dinners and tastings and everything under the sun, uh, beer related and hospitality related. Uh, she has a comprehensive website and likes beer, um, but showcases everything that she does and can do. Um, but Anne, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Welcome back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're so lovely. It's like, <laughs> just feel like I'm talking to an old friend. Last time we did this, I feel like the clock ran out and we just kind of stayed talking for the next like hour or two. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of editing on the, uh, on my producer's part. So, <laughs> but it was, it was well <laughs> worth it. Um, well, so the inspiration for this show is actually all about beer and cheese. So we've actually never done an episode specifically on beer and cheese pairing before because, you know, especially with the rise of craft beers, I feel like at, in those beginning years, that was the only food and cheese pairing that was really talked about. Um, and now we've done episodes on talking about pairing beer with food and, you know, we get really kind of off the wall and dive into a bunch of different cuisines. Um, but I think it, it merited to go back and really look at the basics of pairing with beer and cheese. And the reason why I reached out to Anne specifically is one, well, she's wonderful, but two, she recently led a seminar at the Aspen uh, Food and Wine Festival this past June uh, with Laura Whirlin, who has written many cheese books. She is a cheese expert. Um, they're cheese amazing. Expert. They, their seminar was all aboard for cheese and beer. Take a trip through Europe's greatest craft beer, beers and artisanal cheeses. And from what I understand, you covered Italy, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Hungary. And I don't know how you did all of those things in such a short amount of time, but I heard. Yes, yeah, we did seven. <laughs> we did seven pairings. We didn't, those weren't the specific country. I, I know I read that in one of the um, the articles afterwards as well. I'm not sure where they got that, but it was European. Okay. I mean, we did, you know, we did Italy, we did Netherlands, we had things from France. We went, I mean, we kind of wanted it to really be a celebration of things that were classic and consistent and um, has stood the test of time or that were kind of taking inspiration from things that had and then putting mm -hmm. their own spin on it. So it was just the idea of like the craft of it all. And I think because it's food and wine classic, they had actually never done a beer seminar before. It was their 40th anniversary. So this is a really big deal. And it was so humbling for me to be invited to do it. Um, but I knew we were speaking to a wine centric audience. Right. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to be sure we're pulling in things that are just exquisite and that have a beautiful bottle and have a great story and you know all of these things and so I wasn't looking for the coolest kitschiest newest trendy thing um, mm -hmm. we really wanted to have beers that were like oh my goodness gracious that anyone there could then buy again and know it's going to taste exactly the same I think that kind of um 
was our like framework, <laughs> you know, for, for selecting. It was like things yeah. that, that can stand up to some of the world's best food, the world's best wine, which is what we were there for, you know? So there was no time for, for kitsch or yeah um, novelty in this, in this seminar, at least, you know? No, so you weren't, really you weren't choosing like a passion fruit sour. This was. <clears throat> yeah, we had, um, what was it? we had seven beers and, you know, honestly, we could have sat there and done seven more. Like it was just, people were so engaged and we were going through and we had, um, we had it set up in a way that was kind of like how a seven course meal would be, you know, very clear kind of aperitivo style pairing, you know, the first course, very light and airy. We kind of went into the main, which is a bit more savory and finished with a nice dessert. And then we had the after dinner drink, which that pairing, I really wanted to end with something memorable because I think, you know, there's so much of in beer of like, this doesn't even taste like beer, you know, for people who aren't familiar with yeah. it. Um, and it's like, we want to show, no, it does. You're just used to a particular style, right? Which is understandable, but it can taste like so many things. And so the pairing that we ended with was a cheese called Moser Screamer. And I know there's a lot of Moses Sleeper and there's things that are similar, but this is um, a Swiss cheese that was actually a very creamy, like a big, rich um, triple cream, which is unusual for Switzerland. And we paired mm -hmm. it with um, Almond 22 Torbata, which is a smoked barley wine from Italy. Mm. So it was like this big creamy with a big, you know, rich cheese. And then this great smoky, unbelievable barley wine that when you first tasted it and smelled it, everyone's like, whoa, you know, cigar and, and Isla Scotch and all that. Once you took a bite of the cheese and went back, the cheese almost like pushed away all of that smoke and kind of dulled it. And it just tasted like a really fabulous, rich, multi after dinner drink. It just, it was so funny to see it all transform and to see people's reactions to it and seeing the difference um, that a pairing can make and how it can transform a beer and a cheese. You know, it was just, it was so cool. That's Great amazing. Reaction. And I mean, you, that's a very challenging group of people. I mean, you're right. This is a, this is a group of people that typically goes for, you know, really impressive wines and, and, and this is like, you know, the first foray into the beer world. So kudos on, on, you know, making a real impression there. Thank you. And I got to tell you people, I mean, I've never gotten this level of response. It was wonderful. Like people came up afterwards, they were so engaged and chatting and talking about it and like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I love beer. And I, I know I love coming to this, but like, we need more, you know, there was a lot of that and a lot of the, um, as well as, you know, I've never done this before. I've never done a beer tasting, but this was so exciting. I love number one. And when we, at the end, we <laughs> did, um, you know, raise your hand to see which one was your favorite. And it was so funny. The first time we did the seminar, we did it twice. There was a full on seven way split. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> the palettes and the different styles and people, what people liked were completely split, like evenly amongst those seven um, pairings. So I was like, this is so great. It proves the point. There's something for everyone, you know? So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no. And I was just going to ask, I'm like, was there a standout, you know, pairing or a beer that like was favored, but that's cool that, that it was kind of evenly distributed. Yeah. The second time around, it was funny. It was less of a, it was a six way split. And mm -hmm. there was a clear, like the smoked barley wine for the second group was kind of like a little intense, but people still, even they said, this might not be for me, but it was so interesting to try, which is all I really wanted. You know, not exactly. everything has to be for everyone, but I think knowing that it exists and knowing oh, my friend's, you know, loves Isla scotches, or my friend always has a cigar after dinner. This would be great for them. You know, that kind of thing I think is just important just to get it out there and to know that these things exist and they're fun. Nice. Well, so I would love to dive into the topic at hand here. 
and really talk people through how to pair beer with cheese. So, you know, if you could kind of take us back to like that, the first kind of thought process you have when you are tasked with, with that kind of pairing. Yeah. So <laughs> mine is probably not the common approach. And I know that there's a lot of experts and people that would really stick to more rule-based ways of doing things. I'm much more instinctual when it comes to this. Um, I ta- usually will taste the cheese first and I think, what would I eat this with? Like, what would I want to put this on? If you have a cheese board in front of you, mm-hmm. it's not usually just cheese, right? You have cheese, you have maybe some breads, crackers, some, some fruit spreads or some berries, some nuts, um, some charcuterie, right? There's like a whole thing, a whole spread. And if you taste a cheese, what do you grab? What do you, what would you put with this? Like if I taste something and I'm like, oh, I want that, that caramelized um, walnut in my next bite, or mm-hmm. I want put a little fruit jam on this. That's kind of how I think of it. And then I honestly just kind of let the beers sub in for those flavors. <laughs> that makes sense. So, I, you know, I'm tasting something. I said, oh my God, this is really great, but I would love to have, you know, this with a little bit of fig jam. Then I tend to kind of look for beers that have a little bit of that flavor. So maybe a Belgian double has very figgy kind of rummy um, malt character. Um, If there's something that I want, that's nutty. If I want, oh, this needs some chopped nuts on it. Look at brown ales and sort of the darker beers that have a little bit of like maybe Marisata malt that has some nutty um, notes to it and kind of start there. That's usually where my first, like where I dig my feet in. Mm-hmm. is figuring out flavors. And then I kind of look, all right, well, intensity wise, you know, yes, this is going to need something with a little more malt sweetness, but I think because it's a lighter cheese, maybe we need to go in the lighter beer category. So maybe like an English nut brown or something that's not quite as intense. Or I think, no, this is big. This is rich. This is intense. And it needs a big, strong multi note. Maybe a quad would stand up to this perfectly. You know, so I kind of think what flavors might work first and then yeah. dive into okay, well, on the intensity scale, like where does this land? What does this play with? And then it's a little bit of trial and error after that, because sometimes, you know, there was a pairing that we did with a cheese called KM39. This was the Goldilocks. This was like the hardest one for me to find because it was such a unique cheese. It's from Spain and mm-hmm. it had these great parmesan type notes, but it was sweet. And so almost like mm. a pineapple, Parmesan, kind of all of these flavors in one. So it had its own sweet and savory within just the cheese itself. So yeah. you kind of have to figure out what to play with. And it needed some sweetness, but too much was very easily overpowering. And it bitterness was absolute no, it just killed it. And so we're kind of playing. And I wanted to do a Doppelbach. And I tried three different Doppelbachs to find the perfect one. Oh so that gosh. was where it was like, oh my gosh, I really thought this would work. And it ended up being um, Andex Doppelbach Dunkel, a German um, brewery on the top of Holy Mountain. It's a pilgrimage site and they make these really great styles, but it was just the right amount of sweetness. It had the lagered finish. It was clean. It was like the perfect beer. Um, but that yeah. was like, whoo, you know, so I use all these principles <laughs> and then you kind of have to go and and taste and play and, and learn and trial and error kind of uh, time because that's important too. Yeah. You know, it's funny um, for Andox Doppelbach Dunkel. I always feel like that is when I, when I worked in DC at Bertrand Burley Church Key, we always, we almost always had that on draft. And um, that was like the one beer that I wouldn't let my servers say, like we always kind of go around the horn and do, you know, pair, pair, pair beer with each of the, you know, tasting menu or something like that to practice the, the, 
verbalization of pairing beer with food. And I'd always mm -hmm. be like, ah, nobody can say Andox for anything because that was the one beer that no matter what, it would pair with whatever you were, whatever it's you were such looking a perfect, at. It's my Thanksgiving, it's, you know, go-to, which is, I find funny that it took me for a while to get to that one because I was like, all right, well, what if we, like, I kind of wanted something that I didn't expect, but I'll tell you, man, it really showed its colors. You're exactly right. Like it really proved itself and it proved that point being able yeah. to work with cheese because this was a, this was a tough one. <laughs> it was a, it was a fun one. And so I guess that's what I mean. You know, you, you can have all these great thoughts and most of the time it works. I would say when I'm thinking this way, it usually works about 90% of the time, just because we all have a great palate. We know what we like and mm -hmm. we know what works. You know, there's, if you have a cheese plate and you have a great, you know, fill in the blank, let's say a sweet, fresh cheese, and you put a really spicy mustard, you're going to know that it doesn't work. So I yeah. think if I like to empower people to think about themselves and their flavor profiles and what they like and what they enjoy and think of it, not as this crazy, scary, like, you know, world that you need to know everything about in order to do it, but more just kind of <laughs> like, stop for a second, think about what you like, think about how you make a dish, think about how you put a meal together. The, you know more than you think you do. I think the average person knows more than they think, but there's something about this industry that can be a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, um, uh, you know, it, it can, it can be a little, mystical, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I just had this conversation recently uh, with somebody we were talking about when, you know, chefs are making a transition uh, into a more corporate role or something like that. And they need to take over, you know, some beverage aspect or, mm -hmm. you know, more and more, um, especially in like the hotel world, chefs are, you know, being called on to, you know, partner more with uh, the beverage side of things, especially when it comes to pairings. It, it's such a great way to build the guest experience. And, you know, a lot of times, if, you know, a chef who hasn't had a lot of background in beverage, it can be an intimidating Mm -hmm. thing to go into okay i need to start pairing wines or beers or cocktails or what have you with, with the mm -hmm. food um and the simplest way and this is exactly what you were saying is breaking down the flavors of the dish and the flavors of the beverage and kind of seeing what works and then having them basically build a dish including these flavors mm -hmm. um and it's it's once once you kind of break it down into these are these are flavors these are combinations these are this is this is a more tangible way to go it becomes less of a less of a barrier right um, and, and and knowing that there's not this secret vocabulary i mean there are listen there are terms that we use when we're amongst industry folks or when we're talking to each other that are just i get it but you know i'm much more guest facing and i tend to be more front of house, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm not going to be trying to, you know, explain things to someone who's interested, but they don't want to be a pro. They just want to enjoy their evening. So how can we say this and explain it and get them to understand in a way that's fun and relatable and makes sense? And I think the same thing with pairings and just what you said. I mean, the idea of a sauce, if you're going to, if you would spritz lemon on this calamari, let's try it with a goza. You know, that's just, just think about what you do yeah. naturally. And I think there's a lot more information in that process than people realize. And yeah. I think that's just a fun way to do it because yeah, I can then relate it to the typical um, rules and tools of the trade, you know, the idea of match, match and complement contrast and et cetera. But I just don't think that way instinctive. Like my instinct isn't to think match, match, complement contrast. I can then mm -hmm. say, oh yeah, this works because it's a nice 
like flavors and like flavors, or I think it makes a lot of sense because it complex, you know, contrast yeah. or, or what have you, but that's not how I think. So I think if I just go with my gut and start to think about flavors, it works so much better for me. Um, yeah. and it's fun to play. I think the average person at home, even if you don't know anything, you're starting from scratch and you taste something and say, well, this would be fun with raspberry. Go to your great local shop or, or, or store. So do you have anything that's raspberry that I think would be really nice with this ricotta or whatever? Yeah. And people would be happy to help too. You know, I think that's kind of part of the fun is going out to places and trying new things and asking questions and not being afraid to say, I have this, what do you think? Or I'd like to try this with something that's a little sweet. What do you recommend? You know, just simple stuff and and playing a little bit and, and, and experimenting, I think makes it a fun way to learn. Yeah. And so, I mean, you were referencing the three C's of pairing beer with food, complement, contrast, cut. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think uh, when you're, I think when you're trying to teach like a server or um, a beverage professional, like that's, that is a great starting point. But I think, I think to your point, like when you are guest facing, mm -hmm. the way that you're speaking about it is definitely more tangible. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a little easier for them to uh, connect with, you know, another great, you know, adage is grows together, goes together. Right. So if you have, you know, a local dish, chances are the local brewery that's been there for 400 years is probably going to be making it, you know, making something that will pair with that classic local dish, right? It's the same kind of thing sure. with wine. So, you know, it's definitely, um, definitely a more kind of organic, um, emotional connection to pairing. Um, we brought but, that up as well. That's important because that's so much of our our senses come from our sense of smell and nostalgia and memories and, you know, all of these things that are connected with our sense of taste and our sense of smell. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the best pairings might not be the most, you know, might not be the things that you would think work the best on paper, but you have it. You're like, Oh my gosh, this reminds me of that time we were out on the boat and da, 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 da. you know, like yeah. there's definitely an emotional component to these as well, which I think is, we wanted to make sure that all of our pairings tell stories. And I typically like to do that just in general, you know, if there's something that's personal to you or that reminds you of something or that you have a great connection with, um, that's a good place to start and, and then look outward. Yeah. Do you, Do find... you mind? What's oh, that? Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was asking if there was maybe an emotional beer and cheese pairing that you that you can recall for yourself. Probably oh, <laughs> a lot, but I'll tell you, I <laughs> I now have a new one because I just, that Moser Screamer with the Almond 22 Turbata is... yeah something that I'm like, oh my goodness. It's, it's so, it was so delicious, but also so unique to me. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I love about beer is that it can really take the place of so many things. I mean, it hits every spot. If it's a hot day and you want something bright and tangy, if you have something, you've had a big meal and you want something big and bold to round it off, or if you drink iced coffee and you want that big shot of bitterness, like there's just something for every mood, every um, dish, every, and so showing that and having this small little pour of beer. I mean, you're not going to drink an entire bottle of this in this setting. It's, no. you know, we pour it into a nice snifter. You can probably share a 12 ounce bottle or 11 ounce bottle with two or three people um, and have it and just enjoy it and sip it and savor it. And the idea that you can serve a beer like that is maybe a little far, 
new to most to a lot of people. You know, mm-hmm. you don't think you think you're supposed to just drink as cold as you possibly can and out of the can and or out of the <laughs> bottle. And so to be able to show like, look, we're going to have this beer. We're going to share it. We're going to pour it into a snifter. It's going to warm up a bit. We're going to smell it. We're going to savor it. It's going to round off our meal. It's like, wow, look at what beer can do. You know, yeah. um, I think that pairing has just really, really stuck with me for a lot of reasons. And that's one of them kind of an emotional attachment to it being like, after dinner conversation, um, you know, people being like, wow, this is so interesting. And one time I went to Italy and one time I, and then it sparks conversation about where it comes from. And then it sparks conversation about another cheese I once had. And then all of a sudden now you're like deep into this great evening. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. There's, there's lots of like transformative moments that you can have with beer and that's kind of the the beautiful part of it. And I'm so sorry, I cut you off. What were you, were you about to say something? Oh, just curious about, so one of the things I was excited to do with your Europe, European beers, and I tend to really favor a lot of those now, um, just because there's the consistency of it. I really appreciate. And especially if you're using it to introduce people to beer, I think knowing that you're going to get a great product every time is important um, in that sense for me. But with the lo- local aspect in the U S I feel like there's so many different styles that can be made from anywhere at and, you know, we import all of our ingredients for the most part. There's not a huge sense of terroir in beer as the same way it is in wine, right? So you can go somewhere like if we're having a local beer in Brooklyn. It could That could really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to find whether it's a maybe a social terroir aspect or something that does give it a sense of place for pairings has been important, but a little bit difficult for me. I was just curious your experience with, because local can mean so many things, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like assembled locally. Sure. It's a local <laughs> business. Great. But if you look down at what the beer is, I mean, the hops are coming from the West coast and maybe the malt's coming from Germany and the yeast is from white labs or whatever. I mean, you're, you're assembling it here, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've seen little pockets and, and this is something that you know, we've talked about on the show a lot. And then something that I always say is local does, does not mean good. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, also something that we've been exploring on the show is the growth of different breweries using more local products. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we've done a whole series on like local malt in the Hudson Valley. Um, Isn't that exciting to see? I'm like, I love it. It's really exciting to see. It's really cool, the stuff that they're doing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, recently we talked to Black Narrows Brewing Company in Chincoteague, Virginia, where they're using a local and indigenous corn, um, bow and arrow um, out west. Uh, they're also using a local indigenous corn, but they're using a lot of other local ingredients. I know that there are little pockets of breweries that have um, cultivated their own yeast strain. Um, mm-hmm. I know Jester King, right outside of Austin, oh, is amazing excellent um at their spontaneously fermented beers but also using local ingredients uh scratch brewing in um illinois um they a lot of their beers most of their beers are made with local or forged um ingredients um that's what's we have a lot from um the ale apothecary and um like we put on the reserve list at treadwell a little bit and that's that's what I tend to look for when I'm traveling. Like those yeah. types of things where I can really get a sense. And I, I love seeing it in pockets. I don't see it as, it's hard because when you're talking on a national level, you want to be able to ex- like to share things like that and to share these small batch 
places with people, but sometimes they're only available there, which I think is part of the fun. Like I'm going to visit Oxbow next month and I can't wait to just be out, you know, in that part of Maine and enjoying all the local food and having those great beers. And that's what we do up in, um, what's, what's, uh, Evan plan B upstate. Oh yeah. Have you been to plan B and they have this great farm and they do a lot of these just one-offs really interesting things that are coming from the yeast they cultivated off of their flowers or, you know, fill in the blank. And just to sit there in C2 and taste and hear their stories and be a part of it is probably one of my favorite things to do when visiting a new place. Yeah. I mean, and and here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I am in your very same school of thought where a lot of times, especially with the benchmark of the styles, when you're introducing people uh, to beer, like, you know, a great example is Andex Doppelbach. Like no, nobody in the U S is making a better Doppelbach. Like that's, that's just not happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these guys have been doing this for a while. They've, they've nailed it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm definitely in the school of thought that there are some, there are certain benchmarks to the style that, you know, come from more old world regions. Um, however, I think there is a growing number of, U.S. producers that also create good benchmarks with consistency. Um, You know, if I'm trying to illustrate, hey, this is a solid IPA with a good malty backbone, like I'm looking at Bell's Two Hearted. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm looking at like a good example of a U.S. Kolsch, Schlafly, right? Schlafly. (laughs) So (laughs) it's, it's, I mean, it's it's growing a little bit um but no i'm i it's a it's an interesting question because in the u.s you've got all these different pockets and you know it's interesting i i really feel for the u.s craft brewers right now because they're up against so much competition um not just you know from so many you know from so many breweries opening in the past couple years but also from different market trends, right? You've got canned cocktails, you know, RTDs ready to drink. You've got seltzer. You've got a lot of different uh, other options that are kind of honing in on that business. And I think for a brewery to open up right now, not only do they need to be brewing amazing beer right off the rip, which is so hard, but they need to have some kind of... um, hook essentially they need to have mm-hmm. something that tells a really fascinating story um right off the bat i don't think the old story of like well my bro and i were home brewing in college and then you know we became investment bankers and then we decided to open up a brewery like that doesn't do it anymore um so i think uh i think it's really challenging for for new establishments and the ones that have opened in the past couple of years that are still thriving um, are not only creating a great product, but definitely, you know, have either done something to foster their community or um, engage with their local agriculture. But there there has to be something. And it's it's definitely a challenge. And the challenge, too, is is getting it on the wall. I mean, it's that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's hard for me as a on the other hand, like as a beer director and someone who's buying for bars and restaurants and doing this, I, I have to hold tight to my guns to showcase these different styles. Like at a bar, you know, of 20 lines, I have three IPAs. That's mm-hmm. it. 
and everything else is all these different styles because I want to show that diversity. But for me, when I go out, it's hard to find that. And I'm not talking about the great beer bars and the local places that really curate. I mean, just like yeah. at a typical place to go out, it's hazy IPA, hazy IPA, and people are churning this out. Um, in New York City, at least I can, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot. No, of, when you said, you said, I've got 20, when you said I got 20 lines and only three are IPA, I was like, Girl, no, I have a triple line. I have a farmhouse line. We have um, wow. a darker lager line and, you know, all of these things, all of these styles so that if anyone walks in and says what they like, we can give them something. But that's important to me to showcase. But it's hard to find. I mean, there's times when I'm combing through all 20 distributors and saying, like, does anybody have a triple? Because, yeah. you know, they'll start off with these. I mean, even Allagash, love them to death. And I love this beer. But look who's making an IPA. You know, there are certain times <laughs> where the, the market kind of dictates. Yeah. Brewers with the best intentions still have to kind of go where the market dictates. And there's a few places in New York City that started off, you know, farmhouse, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And these wonderful stories. And by the end, it's all out of there because, you know, and I understand there's realities of the business. So I guess in that, I'm just would be lovely and asking other beverage directors and people who are in charge at places like restaurants and not just beer centric beer geek bars, but at, you know, places that have something else to say to maybe encourage, try some of these styles, see what else is out there. Let's help educate the public so that we're not just asking for Pilsners and IPAs. And when that demand is there, I think it'll definitely help support those great breweries that you're talking about that we both love to kind of grow if they want to. Some want to stay local and that's fine. But if you want to be able to scale, I think I would love to see places do that and still be able to be successful and scale and not have to succumb to what people tell them they have to make in order to be successful. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, let's have more people make dope Doppelbach, right? Yeah. And let's have more buyers buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And let's have more, you know, people doing pairings, tell people about it and let's get the, let's get the guests to come in and ask for it. And it's so funny that, you know, that it was, that was the hardest one for me to get my hands on. It was, I did not have a very easy time pulling European beers in New York. It was, it was hard. I had to ask for samples. I had to call in favors. Like I went to multiple stores, multiple bottle shops, and it was just so dominated by the local domestic cans, which is great. You know, that's fine. But it was like, that wouldn't, was not the case five, 10 years ago at all. Um, it was really, it was eye opening (laughs) to see where the imports are right now. And, And it was like, wow. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, and I think it's, it's been really, it's been really challenging as the importers have either consolidated or dropped off. I mean, with, uh, with Shelton brothers, um, not, not existing anymore has been a challenge. So it's everything being pre-order and having to think that far out ahead because no one wants to bring something in. It's the potential is just going to sit there. So it's like, you know, when I used to buy for like the ginger man, I'm looking through, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want this. I want that. Boom, boom, boom. And they come in and they're there tomorrow because everyone was kind of buying like that. And now you really have to think two, three, four weeks in advance to get a lot of these interesting things. And it's, it's, you know, in a high volume place that can be difficult. So there's a lot of different challenges that are happening now. I feel that are different, um, that are new. So I just would hope that we can continue to keep putting unique things and having bars like, like what you mentioned that has a permanent on line. Like I would <laughs> flip backwards if I saw that nowadays, <laughs> I would not be, you know, it's like, what? what? It's incredible. Yeah. I love it. No, it's very happy. I mean, to be fair, uh, we're a little spoiled in DC because, you know, 
the it's technically not a state so you can you know direct import and stuff like that so um i mean there are lots of downfalls pitfalls to dc not being a state but you know that's, there's there's one perk right there um <laughs> i think i'm doing a visit i need to i need to make my way back over there very soon yes 100 <laughs> percent. well thank you so much for for taking the time um you know just to kind of loop back listeners Pairing beer with cheese can be so much fun. And the way that Anne described it is perfect to really think of beer as an additional ingredient to that full charcuterie board or that cheese board and, you know, play with the flavors. We talk all the time on this show about how beer should not be an intimidating thing. We just did it. And Anne, we did a whole series on homebrew and that, you know, homebrew is something that just get a kit, start playing with it go to a homebrew club, like it's an easy, happy thing to get into. And I think pairing beer with food or pairing beer with cheese is another thing that you can just, you know, pick one cheese, pick one beer, start playing with it, have fun with it, talk to your local, you know, beer shop owner. And um, it, it should be fun. It shouldn't be scary. Yeah. Go grab six random beers, go find six random cheeses and just taste. <laughs> just yeah. play. And take notes and take pictures and remember, you know, and yeah. the next time you have a little bit more to go off of and the next time you have a little more to go off of and not a bad way to spend an afternoon or an evening. No, definitely lots of fun. Well, and thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, congratulations on bringing beer to the uh, um, Aspen Food and Wine Festival. <laughs> thank you. And I got, like you said, the mentioned Laura Worland, she was unbelievable to work with we had so much fun we created these pairings across the country she's based in san francisco and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of like you know facetimes and shipping things to each other and try this and taste that and it was just it was such a fun experience so what a good partner beer and cheese with this cool lady <laughs> <laughs> well listeners this has been another episode of beer me radio if you have any questions comments concerns feel free to reach out at radio on Instagram. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. So please like, subscribe, give all the stars, and we will catch you next time. Cheers.